Malachi chapter 1, verse 11. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted, and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is, and you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence, or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock, and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offsprings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest shall guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts, and so I make you despised and abased before all the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Amen. Thank you, Candice, for reading for us. Uh, let me also welcome you to Chalmers this evening. I'm really glad that you're here. My name's Adam, and I'm training here at Chalmers, as well as being on the staff team. And please do come and say hello, if you're new, um, at the end of our time together. And there are headings on the back of the order of service. You might find those helpful if you're taking notes or just to follow along. Please keep the passage open in front of you, page 801 of the Church Bibles, Malachi chapter 2. And before we dive in, let me ask God for his help. Let's pray. Amen. 
Almighty God, as we just heard in the reading, you are a great king, and your name will be feared among the nations. You are the king who spoke through the prophet Malachi, and you are the same king who is speaking to us today. Please humble us before you. As I speak, please would the words that come out of my mouth be words of true instruction that comes from you. As all of us listen to you address us, please would you be at work in our hearts by your Holy Spirit, helping us to hear your voice clearly, and would you give us soft hearts to receive what you have to say to us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and ye shall be taken away with it. Malachi chapter 2, verse 3. Probably not a verse that's made it onto many fridges, desktop screensavers, or children's memory verses. But it is a striking verse that should make us sit up and listen, and a punishment that engages the senses. You can almost smell the words off the page. I will spread dung on your faces. And there's some theological background to this image, which I'll explain later. But even at a glance, this verse tells us something of the stomach-turning disgust God feels about the disgraceful situation among his people. And this situation and our focus for this evening is all to do with teaching, That's the main theme that runs through our passage. Um, Listen for the repetition. Verse 6, true instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. Verse 7, the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. Verse 8, you have caused many to stumble by your instruction. Verse 9, you show partiality in your instruction. Again and again, the word instruction, or another way to translate it, law. Our theme tonight is that the people who were supposed to be teaching God's people how to live lives that please him were getting that disastrously wrong. And God is furious about it. And let me quickly address a question we might have. Um, If this is all about teaching, then why is it the priests that are being being addressed here? Um, We may not think of teaching when we think of priests, um, but in Malachi's day, it was the priests who had this teaching responsibility. Or as verse 7 puts it, he, the priest, is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Um, So the rebuke is addressed to the priest, but really it's uh, messengers or teachers um, who we should have in our minds. Um, Their sacrifices may be a more familiar priestly function were in view last week. Um, But this week, the issue on the table is bad messengers. And so with that in mind, let's dive into our first points. Um, I've got two points this evening, and I've popped those headings down on the handouts. Um, If you were here last week, you might have felt that Malachi, as a book, packs a punch. Um, And I have to say, the same is true in this passage. So here's the first point. God will not tolerate messengers who don't fear him and distort his teaching. God will not tolerate messengers who don't fear him and distort his teaching. I guess many of us will be familiar with the annual uh, appraisal or performance review. And I take it for those who've experienced them, and they're probably not your favorite time of year. Well, imagine a performance review. Instead of being in the relative privacy of, uh, in an office with a manager and maybe one or two others, imagine if that happened publicly 
in front of the whole office. That's kind of what's going on in Malachi chapter 2. It's less a cozy chat with God's messengers, checking in about how things are going. No, it is a public dressing down in front of the whole assembly for the ways in which they have dishonored God and misled the people. So scandalous and damaging has their conduct been that nothing less than a public scolding is needed. And as we listen in to God rebuking his messengers, I want to spend a few minutes painting a picture of the multifaceted problem before we come back to look in more detail at God's opinion. Um, So we'll pick out four aspects of these messengers. And the first aspect that God exposes is their hearts. Verse 2, if you will not listen, if you will not lay it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I've already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. In their hearts, the messengers of the Lord do not honor God's name. To put it another way, they don't fear him, and they don't care about his global reputation. It's striking that God starts with the hearts. The kinds of appraisals we have are mostly concerned, I guess, with kind of external outputs. But God sees and cares about what's going on inside. And in fact, if the heart isn't right, well, then the actions will soon follow. More on that later. We've already seen in Malachi, in fact, if you've been here with us, that it is right to fear God. God's holiness and power and authority demands that we serve him. It's right to serve God. He deserves it. Look back with me at chapter 1, verse 14, the end of last week's passage. We had it read again this evening. Chapter 1, verse 14, I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. The God of the Bible is a great king, and his name will go up in lights across the universe. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. He is infinite and he is sovereign over his world. He gives us life. And in fact, as I'm speaking, he is giving all of us in this room every breath. So I hope we can begin to see why it is wrong not to fear this God. The call to fear God actually will ring, ring out across the whole of Malachi as we spend the next few weeks in this book. Um, but the question here is not actually so much to us, will ye fear God? We will get there later. But just now, it's not so much us as individual believers under the microscope, but God's messengers. The author wants us to consider how scandalous it is that God's messengers don't fear him, and have no desire to honor his great name. As I said, the core uh, problem of hearts that don't uh, fear God spills out into actions. And so we're building this picture of these bad messengers. Let's add some color. And first of all, let's see um, what we're told about their lives. Verse 8, but you have turned aside from the way. These messengers have strayed from the path of personal obedience to God and his words. It is a tragic thing when those who are supposed to be examples to others have given up on obedience to God. 
Many of us will sadly know or know of Christian leaders who have turned aside to indulge sin. And if we do know that, we'll know the damage it can cause. And I guess if any examples sprung to your mind, one of the main features may have been hypocrisy. Someone says one thing publicly, but privately lives totally out of step with what they say. But for these messengers in Malachi's day, it's not even that they said one thing in public, but live very differently in private. I take it they've given up on teaching truthfully too. I'm getting that from verse 9. I'll read that again for us, reading from halfway through. Verse 9, you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. In showing partiality, we don't know exactly what they were doing. Um, Perhaps they were letting some people off the hook and giving them preferential treatment over others. And perhaps they were teaching things that they liked and ignoring things that they didn't like. Um, But whatever they were doing, they weren't accurately teaching God's words. They were teaching selectively, compromised by their own personal agenda. And I take it we can see the connection between compromised living and compromised teaching. Compromised living leads to compromised teaching, which justifies uh, compromised living. If a teacher compromises one, then the other will likely follow. And that has a huge impact on the people. So as we build this picture, um, let's fill in the final piece of the puzzle um, in our picture of these bad messengers. We see that most clearly half, uh, in, in verse 8, halfway through, which says this, you have caused many to stumble by your instruction. So bad leaders are one of the most dangerous weapons at Satan's disposal. They have the potential for huge damage among God's people and for God's reputation in the world. I mean, think of the original hearers of Malachi's message. And remember back to last week, if you were here, and the people offering blemished animals in sacrifice to the God who deserves nothing less than our best. Remember, it was the priests who waved these blemished animals through the checkpoints, who applauded the people as they heaped up God's anger on themselves, one profane sacrifice at a time. Bad priests polluted the worship of the entire nation. And tragically, we see similar things in the church and today across the world. Bad leaders or bad messengers encourage people towards choices that displease God, the God of heaven, the great king. He will be feared among the nations. They lower the bar of what is acceptable to a holy God and they wave people on with a smile on their face nodding in approval to what God does not approve of. The claim is that this is more inclusive, more welcoming, more accepting, more loving. And yet God says to them, verse 8, ye have caused many to stumble by your instruction. God sees this and he's angry. These kinds of messengers will not get away with it. Can I be candid and say, as someone training to be a messenger of God's words, and this is a scary passage. And I think it should humble any of us with any teaching responsibility in the church. 
Spending the week in this passage has challenged me to think again about the serious responsibility uh, to be someone who steers people away from sin. To never face God and hear the words, you have caused many to stumble by your instruction. I think one reason it's scary is just how high the stakes are. There's a chain reaction going on here. Jay mentioned this last week. Um, When the messengers or the priests compromise, will the people stop living distinctive lives of worship to God? And the nations around do not see God as the great king that he is. God's global reputation is on the line, and he is fiercely jealous for his name. And another reason, um, and, and this is how I want to finish this first point, is that God's opinion of messengers who don't fear him and distort his teaching. And, and here is the headline God is outraged. The curse language of verse 2 is language of a broken covenant relationship. It's the language found in Deuteronomy 28, where the whole people of Israel are told they'll be blessed if they're obedient and cursed if they're disobedient. The covenant, the basis of their relationship with God, is hanging by a thread. And in fact, God goes even further. Um, Let me try and explain what's going on with this dung image in verse 3. Um, You know how at Wimbledon there are kind of strict rules that the players have to be dressed in almost um, entirely white? Um, I actually this week looked up the exact rules, and they are incredibly detailed. Um, But basically, if you're not dressed properly, uh, you don't get on the courts. Um, Now, the rules didn't actually mention this explicitly, but I'm going to assume if you roll around in the mud in your white clothing just before a match and then try and get on the courts, my guess is you wouldn't get in. And remember, these messengers in Malachi's day, they were the priests. They were to be holy, set apart, separated from anything unclean. Filthy, unclean dung on the face of a priest defiles him. God is effectively saying to them, you're finished. Don't show up at work tomorrow morning. The image actually goes a bit further than that. And there were rules that when a priest sacrificed an animal, the unclean bits of the animal, including the dung, was to be taken outside the camp of Israel, away from God's holy presence. So when God says, ye shall be taken away with it, He's saying to the priests who are supposed to enjoy the most privileged closeness to God of anyone, get out of my sight. Cast out and cut off from God and his people. And if that wasn't enough, listen to the shame and disgrace of verse 9. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people. I said at the beginning, Malachi's message is strong. God will not tolerate messengers who don't fear him and distort his teaching. And I want to leave this first point with a question. The question is this, do we see how big a problem it is when God's messengers distort his teaching? Do we see the danger for individuals who are under this kind of ministry, one which lowers the bar of acceptability and leads people into sin? Do we see how the glory of God's name among the nations is at stake here? And perhaps you're here and you're not a Christian, and perhaps you've seen this kind of thing in action. 
And that is maybe one of the reasons that you've, uh, you've, that's put you off the Christian faith. Perhaps you've come across leaders where their supposed, uh, supposed faith in God didn't seem to make any difference in their lives. And if that's how the leaders are, well, then surely there's nothing in this thing that they say they believe. Well, that is exactly the issue of Malachi 2, isn't it? The world will not see God as great if his messengers don't fear and honor his name. But the truth is, God sees this kind of thing too, and he hates it for that very reason. And so please don't let bad examples be something that stops you from taking the God of the Bible seriously. Now's a chance to, to catch our breaths a little bit. If that first point felt heavy, um, then the second point is less so. Um, here's the point. Again, you'll find this on the handouts. God is determined to have a faithful messenger to guide his people. God is determined to have a faithful messenger to guide his people. And if that first point was God renouncing the bads, well, this next point uh, takes us to what God does want positively. In fact, he gives these bad messengers a chance to repent. Um, After all, it is a command that he gives them. He is giving them a chance to obey, And he actually also explains why he's commanding them to be obedient messengers. Verse 4, So shall ye know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. And now we don't have time to go into a lot of detail on exactly what this covenant with Levi is, but I think the important details are explained to us in verses 5 to 7. And verses 5 and 6 give us a model messenger Um, He's named uh, Levi in these verses, um, but I take it it's not the Levi of Genesis that's being spoken about here. Um, Firstly, because although uh, although all of the priests were descended from Levi, um, the priesthood wasn't established until a few generations later. And the second reason is uh, what we do know about Levi from the book of Genesis is that he is by no means a positive example. Um, Anger and violence are the key words used to describe him at the end of Genesis. And so not Levi. And while there are examples of good priests in the Old Testament, um, Phineas in Numbers 25 um, is an option that people throw out. Um, I take it it's not so important to find one example priest from the Old Testament who perfectly fits this description. I think the key thing is that we see verses 5 to 7 as a model for the kind of messenger that God wants. And um, so like we did with the bad messengers, I want us to pause and build up a picture of the kind of messenger that God is determined to have. And in many ways, we'll just be saying the opposite of what we said in point one. So we'll go through these a little bit more quickly. And firstly, in his heart, listen to this, halfway through verse five, it was a covenant of fear and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. In his heart, genuine fear of God, a genuine desire for God's name to be honored. He grasped who he was dealing with, the God we've been seeing in Malachi, the Lord of hosts, literally the God who commands heavenly armies, the great king whose name will be feared among the nations. God's model messenger genuinely fears God's name. God's model messenger also lives out a life of obedience to God. As verse 6 puts it, he walks with me in peace and uprightness. He has a personal relationship with God and walks the path of obedience to his commands. He's an example to the people. 
God's model messenger lives out a life of obedience to God. The next theme in our picture of God's model messenger is related to his speech. Listen again to verse 6. True instruction was in his mouth. He speaks the truth and diligently teaches others how to live God's way. He is a reliable messenger of God's words. What he says can be trusted. God's model messenger teaches truthfully and accurately. Earlier when we were thinking about the bad messengers, we we noted that they have an impact beyond themselves. Um, As with the bad apples, so with this true messenger, he impacts the lives of others. Have a look down with me at the end of verse 6. He turned many from iniquity. While the messengers in Malachi's day were leading people into sin and causing them to stumble, while the model messenger turns many from sin, he protects God's people from going astray. God's model messenger guards the people from going astray. And all of this is to say that this is exactly the kind of messenger that God wants for his people and for the glorification of his name among the nations. It's what the priests were supposed to be. One who fears him, who lives a life of obedience to him, who speaks his words accurately, and who turns others from sin. And to the bad messengers of Malachi's day, God was saying, this is what you ought to be. He called them to repent. But actually, we don't know the outcome of Malachi's ministry for these particular messengers. But in any case, it leaves us longing for a better messenger. Interestingly, Malachi himself um, is a messenger of God in his day. Uh, The name Malachi literally means my messenger. Um, And so we can celebrate Malachi's ministry as a sort of um, mini version of this, an example of the messenger that God wants. Um, But ultimately, ultimately, it is only the Lord Jesus who perfectly fulfills this type of Malachi to you. Just a few pages on in our Bibles, in a precious moment when in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus sits down on a mountain, disciples gathered around him to listen, and he opens his mouth and teaches them. And finally, here is the one who perfectly gives true instruction. He will turn many from iniquity. And Malachi 2 helps us um, see the significance of what might seem like quite a plain moment. Otherwise, Jesus sits down to teach. And when he finishes teaching, Matthew chapter 7 gives us this assessment in stark contrast with the messengers of his day. The crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. We think of Mark 6, um, verse 34, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach teach them many things. And the people in Jesus' day described as sheep without a shepherd. Why? Because their teachers hadn't learnt the lesson of Malachi 2. And so Jesus began to teach them many things. We can celebrate every instance of Jesus teaching the people in the Gospels. They all show him fulfilling the longing of Malachi 2. Against the backdrop of bad messengers who lead people astray, Jesus comes and teaches truthfully and leads many to life and peace. 
Through his teaching, we have come to be saved, to know God, and to live lives that please him more and more. Jesus feared God and glorified his name. He lived a life of perfect obedience to God's law, the life that we could never live. He taught God's word faithfully without an agenda. He led many to find eternal life in himself. And so let's be thankful for Jesus as our perfect messenger. But I don't want to stop there. And before um, I finish, I want to keep drawing that line through Jesus to ourselves. And we actually looked at this verse last week, 1 Peter 2, verse 9, which says this to Christians. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him. He calls you out of darkness into his marvelous lights. Through Jesus, all Christians are made into a priesthood who are to proclaim to the world the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into light. We're to point to Jesus to teach others how someone can move from darkness to light, from death to life. God's name will be great among the nations, and Christians have a responsibility to point the nations to the life that is found in Jesus. That's why global mission matters. It's why the gospel is proclaimed both here and across the world where some of our mission partners are serving. And it would be a great thing for us to reflect personally on Malachi 2. To what extent do we fear God and long for his name to be glorified across the whole world? I guess if we're honest, there are so many other things in life that occupy our time and thoughts many of them genuine responsibilities we can't avoid. But through Malachi 2, God is appealing to us that we ought to fear him and honour his name. We ought to long for his great name to be put up in lights across the world. Let me briefly speak to those of us who have a particular responsibility for teaching, and whether that's those who preach regularly, lead children's work, lead a small group, or any other form of word ministry. This is a serious passage. It ought to humble us. And it is a big problem when God's messengers don't fear him, obey him, teach his words accurately, and steer others from going astray. Perhaps an idea for those of us who who do have a teaching responsibility would be to use these verses as a regular health checkup on on our own lives and ministry. And all of this is also why we're so serious about the Bible at Chalmers. It's why we have a weekly sermon prep meeting for the preachers. It's why we have growth groups for small group leaders to work on the Bible together and to spur each other on to keep living in line with what God's word says. God says messengers who reverently obey him and accurately proclaim his truth are vital. He is intensely committed to have messengers like this for the glory of his name. And wherever we go in life, this is the kind of ministry we ought to seek out. This is the kind of ministry we ought to invest in, support, and pray for. This is the kind of ministry we ought to be doing. And I think one practical thing for all Christians, as those who have a responsibility to teach one another, and that's all of us, not just those with a role um, formally, um, one practical outworking is that we ought to know the Bible well enough 
to instruct one another how to obey God's in our various contexts and situations in life. And none of us, of course, will do this perfectly. Only Jesus did. We need to remember that his grace is enough to cover all the times we fall short and mess up. Uh, but let's hear the challenge of just how much good messengers who fear God and obediently teach his word matter for the glory of God's name. Let's be thankful for Jesus. Let's also seek out true instruction from faithful teachers. And let's strive to be faithful in our own speaking of God's words. And let me pray to close. Almighty God, we thank you for your word to us this evening. Lord, we are humbled at how seriously you take the faithful proclamation of your words. We are so glad that Jesus is the faithful messenger who teaches us the way of salvation and how to live lives that please you. We praise you for his obedience and his example. Father, help us to be those who seek instruction from a faithful messengers of your words. And Lord, we ask that as your excellencies are proclaimed, that you would be feared more and more throughout the nations. Help us to be faithful in the task, knowing we will not be perfect, but striving to be faithful. We pray all of this in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. If we are feeling the weight of this passage, and we're keenly aware of our own weakness, and well, then our next song reminds us of the grace and great gospel truth that we have a great priest in Jesus who has completely dealt with our sin and our failings if we're trusting him. Um, so as the band plays, please uh, stand if you're able and let's sing together um, these words. <laughs>